This is exactly right. Hello. We want to take a second to tell you about one of our favorite podcasts, Disgraceland. If you like music, pop culture, and true crime, this is the podcast for you. Through host Jake Brennan's deeply researched storytelling, you'll hear all about the lives and crimes of musicians like Jerry Lee Lewis, Jay-Z, The Rolling Stones, and so many more. And now Disgraceland is expanding to include artists, actors, athletes, and other icons from Anthony Bourdain to Andy Warhol. Full episodes are released every Tuesday. Check out Disgraceland on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Goodbye. To My Favorite Murder, the podcast. The podcast that you tune into every, what, Thursday morning? You you do your best. Afternoon nowadays. Maybe Friday, maybe a Friday evening. Sure. Life is is changing. You're changing. Things are busy. Who knows what day it is anymore? Yeah. In this season of your life. That, you know, that that's what the influencers are saying now. Like the like the lifestyle influencers are calling like the the part of your like in this season of my life where it's like. I'm going to have to ask you to check out of whatever that (laughs) entire culture is that you're talking about. It's a cult. All right. (laughs) It sounds horrifying. (laughs) These I'm I'm picturing a lot of felt hats. People speaking that were wearing felt hats at the same time. That's right. The word autumnal comes up a lot, probably even when it's not autumn. (laughs) There's a lot of people that pull their sleeves down over their hands to talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. No, thanks. Uh, That's Karen Kilgariff. Oh, that's Georgia Hartstart. Hi. Well, how are you? What's going on? Um, just got back from a nice trip with the fam. Mm-hmm. And um, again, in this season of my life, it feels like uh, I can't tell how much time is passing. So I literally one day turned to my sister and went, I've been here for three weeks. <laughs> like She's like, I don't care. Stay here. I was like, no, I can't. I can't just leave my home and dogs and life. Yeah. Um. But it was really nice. So I got to be up there for Father's Day. A lot of lovely well wishes on Twitter for home Jim, which he pretended he didn't <laughs> care about, but then had already looked at by the time I got to his house for Aww, Father's Day dinner. You know he does. He of cares. course he does. He he's a, he, he's now a legit Twitter lurker. Like I can't really be myself on Twitter anymore. Oh, no. Because my dad's there. What if he just doesn't follow you? He like lurks everyone else's stuff. <laughs> He's really into Chrissy Teigen and all of the things she makes in her beautiful now, she kitchen. Is fun. She's oh, and fun. She, you know, she's legitimately funny. Um, yeah, that would be so typical. How yeah. have you been? Fine. It, this season of my life uh, revolves. What season is it? Winter? It, it oh, is what absolutely it winter. It is the winter of my life and existence, and I'm in pajamas right now. Fucking staying home. Right? Yeah. I mean, it does feel like a lot of people have decided they're just not, quote unquote, (laughs) doing quarantine anymore. Totally. uh, While the numbers skyrocket out of control. I mean, it's almost like the layers of this seven day layer dip of horror. Uh They just 
keep coming where it's like, I thought we already had guacamole. No, here's another <laughs> one. Of guacamole horror where people are pretending the pandemic ended because they want it to. I read is- like some quotes like there were these gals in Florida who like 16 of them went to a bar when they opened. Mm-hmm. They all got it. And the the, late, the, the gal was like, I was just done. I just needed to get out. I was done. And it's like, well, but but the global pandemic isn't. <laughs> so it, it doesn't care that you're done. And also, we're all fucking done. We're asshole. all done. We're, uh, no one likes it. Okay. Like, no one likes it. You know it. what I really no miss? One. I miss missing Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. I, I just like, when I went down to record just now, I, I gave him a kiss and I was like, I'll miss you. And then I was like, will you? <laughs> Will I? Let's do your best to miss Vince. This in this nice. Well, I would love it, to. You know, this will be our first three hour. My favorite murder, <laughs> just so you can miss him a little bit more. That'd be great. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's very strange. It's like, well, it was nice in Northern California. They're not doing that up there. They've been very serious since the beginning. I understand the thinking of like, I can't do it anymore, or I need to socialize. Like. Mm-hmm. The people in their 20s. Like if I was in my 20s in a quarantine. Oh, my God. I I would have gone insane. Totally. I I would have. Absolutely. So it's not like there's not empathy, but it's also like too bad. Are dating apps still like happening or more than ever or now more than ever? Now more than ever. Um, no, how would I know? <laughs> I don't know. I know you. Don't. I want to ask you, but you don't fucking I, do I it. would love to know. I would I would love to know. I just don't. Yeah, I could never. Um, I couldn't do it even just to be just to peek around and yeah. have the gossip. I no. wouldn't be able to do it. Come on, make up a name and and let's know. I mean, look. By the end of this, I might have to yeah. simply because, you know, being cut off from humanity really, it really um, puts your, it, you know, it helps you put your pride aside. Sure. When you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I have no, no pride left. <laughs> I looked at myself in the mirror yesterday when I got up and I was just like, you can't go another minute without a shower. Like I, I keep looking at my hair and I'll do, I have this thing where I pull my bangs back and pull my ponytail in. So it doesn't matter that my hair is a greasy mess. And it was, my hair was just like, Mm-mm. it's, there's <laughs> not another moment. <laughs> I forgot what a real, my sister's a real clean, cleaner, clean Nick real. Uh-huh. So she, her, her season my, of cleaning is her abundant. Season, it's nonstop. It's year round. Uh-huh. Um, she did not like my, she'd always be like, you're going to take a shower. I'd be like, why? <laughs> We're going to Safeway. Like who cares? Yeah. But, she was not into it. So that was kind of it was good to be around people. And it was good to kind of have that check every day of like, why not put on a little lipstick? It's oh. not, you know, why yeah. give up just because there's a pandemic <laughs> and total social upheaval and the exposure of a uh, of a completely white supremacist uh, uh, uh-huh. system and government, system and, and, government and, our, and people who are supposed president. to be our peers. And we're like, who are you? Who are you? But you, now we know. But, but, but we have to talk about it. We have to keep it positive because the best thing that I would have never been able to envision for this season of our lives, uh-huh. I would have never, I've never been able to know that this was possible. And the, the TikTokers, and the k-poppers made it happen yeah they put in and everyone already knows the story but i just want to say it anyway if you've if maybe you're out on the tundra and you haven't heard about this for the tulsa 
Trump rally, which was such an offense. Mm-hmm. It was so gross. They originally planned it on Juneteenth, June 19th of this year, and they did it in Tulsa. Which is the day of emancipation uh, that emancipation went through. And in Tulsa, sorry, you, you were saying it. And then no, I just no, no, said no, it no, over no. you. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, like, it's the kind of thing where it it's almost like these facts of reality of what this uh, these people do and how offensive it is and how gross it is. It just doesn't land anymore Mm-mm. because it's one thing after the other. But I. I was like, yeah, if there is some kind of serious rioting because of this, it's deserved that what kind of fucking bullshit is this that they're like, oh, oh, we're going to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. where the Black Wall Street massacre took place on Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a Trump rally. If you don't if that isn't fucking on purpose and like a fucking fuck you to black people, then I don't know what is the season. Of the abyss has happened and turned. Yes. Right? Now. It's a Slayer song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The season, the season of the abyss? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was Shit, one of my dude. high school boyfriend's song. He was a fucking metalhead. And so Slayer's <laughs> Seasons of the Abyss was our song. <laughs> I thought you were just making that up. I'm not. And oh, sometimes shit, girl. I'll just, yes. I'll just bust it out on air guitar with Vince. <laughs> <laughs> or he'll start singing it and I'll bust it out on air guitar. <laughs> Fucking good. This is the season of the abyss. It's the it's so Slayer true. was right. Fuck Slayer. Get your felt hat on because we're here. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> Get the patches sewn into your sweaters. It's Man. here. Make your is Slayer the one that had that S that was yeah. like a line and then a thing. Yeah. That was all over. That was carved into every desk in my high school. I think. Slayer was big, big yes. at my high school. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I have a show. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect segue. It's funny you mentioned that. Okay, so there's a new... Did you know there's a new Perry Mason, like a remake of Perry Mason? Wait, is it on already? Yeah, it just started this last week. Because <gasps> it's the guy from The Americans that's so awesome. That Matthew uh, Reese? Yes. You think it's, I think he's Welsh. Holy crap. Is it good? Oh, okay. First of all, there's no... Tr- they did not... I'm going to go ahead and do what they should have done, which is trigger warning, dead <laughs> baby. Like full on trigger warning dead baby oh no it's very it's it's a really gruesome like dark show but British, it's right no oh L- it takes place in la in the 20s it's nothing like the old perry mason he's not even a lawyer he's like a detective oh. cool okay yeah um it's dark and it's good and it's like noir and a little over the top and then you remember that it's perry mason and that was a little over the top so it fits it's not it's good i like oh. it it's like i want to watch all of it and get into a deep dark depression well i feel like you know yeah like a period piece depression yeah it's yeah, you know it's what it, ha- it reminds me of um boardwalk empire which i really want to watch again for the outfits outfits fucking the, everything it's good do you do were there are there shots of la where you're like i know that spot that they're remaking in this you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's Angel's Flight. Of... They're in Angel's Flight. With, and when they show it with the buildings around it, because that's, you know, that's how it used to be. It's, it's I, I love it. It's good. Good old noir LA stuff. Perry Mason. That's amazing. Oh, and okay, then trigger I... warning. Enormous um, surprise dick. <laughs> At one point. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin it. I'm not going to ruin it. You'll see. Just <laughs> take, take a shot when you see the surprise enormous. Um, 
Dick. <laughs> now, is it what is it? It's skyscraper or what kind of? How big is it? How big? I don't want to. I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know. Do you know what channel it's on? HBO. Oh, sweet. Yeah. The gritty reboot of Perry. Gritty. Mason. I, don't I wish even, I could yeah. have been there for that pitch meeting. People are like, huh? <laughs> huh? Yeah, it's not what I expected, and it's yeah, it's good. I should be. Uh, to the to counter that, I should be talking about Marcella right now because season yes. three is out. Um, I watched one episode uh, when I was at my sister's, but I had to wait till Nora went to bed because I didn't want her to see anything bad. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I fell asleep four minutes in <laughs> because they all have Irish accents. Right. And it was like it was like me, me old grandmother lullabying me to sleep. Um, or I just always go to sleep at 1030. But um, <laughs> but. I did last night start for true escapism. There is a television show. Um, it's British, but it's on Netflix and it's called 100% Hotter. And it's like a makeover show. No. <laughs> 100% Hotter. They get these British people. And I think, I, I mean, not to say that Americans aren't absolutely like this and you couldn't absolutely cast this show in four minutes in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But there seem to be a lot of people in um england who are like decided that they're gonna be um now I, I what was that what's that girl's name there's you know how they have like the page it's like the page two girls or something from the tabloids i don't know if that's the right page number so, but basically yeah. like it's like super sexy where like you save up all your money to get yeah humongous implants you're like you're like uh like kim kardashian type Right, like but it, perfect, but like a brat's but it goes doll. Way yes, it's a brat's doll going way over into the like performatively yes. sexy, like beyond. Yeah, and so they take. There's a couple of people like that. Then there's a couple people who just have very strange style. And there's a girl. There's a girl who's doing a full on Harajuku look where she has two different color contact lenses and like Hello Kitty stickers on her cheeks and shit. Oh, so they like take the, people with a look. With a with a really extreme look, and then they make it's it's the classic like reality show where then they there's people on the street looking at pictures of them, and suspiciously, all of the people on the street giving ratings because uh -huh. they're like, I would give this a three out of ten. I would, and the people are shocked. They're like, what? Um, <laughs> I'm really hot. How could I be a three or whatever? Yeah. The people on the street that are being interviewed about the ratings all are wearing scarves, different beautiful scarves. Where I'm like. Sorry, you're cast because <laughs> this is a scarf commercial. <laughs> it's is this sponsored by scars, etc. You know, you know that store scars, etc. Anyway, et yeah, but it's a good like just put it it's on. An, um, here's the thing. It's an amazing makeover show because at the end of the day, who doesn't love a really good haircut and really good makeup? And the and also the outfits are amazing. Do they turn them into like uh, like classy, like a classier look? They basically try to take what they want to look like uh -huh. and just make it more like if you're walking down the street, people won't run into a pole because you walk <laughs> Because you have stickers it, on that, your face. Yeah. Or because you there's one guy that is like the one of the, like an industrial goth where he has um, yeah. a wig of um, like dreads made out of rubber. Oh, no. You know, that kind of thing. And yeah. goggles, you know, that. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> That look, it's pretty extreme. That sounds fun. You know, they re just redo everybody. But what it is is just awesome makeup, awesome hair. 
it's just really satisfying. The Harajuku girl, when she gets redone, because you can tell and everything is like, it gets very philosophical where you're mm-hmm. like, we're all wearing masks. <laughs> we're all wearing different masks. <laughs> but like the Harajuku girl, she ha- gets all, takes all her stuff off and the makeup woman's like, look at your eyes. What do you do? And then gives her this... <gasps> This makeup where in the girl is just like this really beautiful young girl who goes, I, I never thought I could look like this. Like, it's the yeah. cutest thing. Oh, I'm so, what's it called? A hundred percent. A hundred percent hotter. Hotter. And the hair guy is such a legendary hair guy where he himself has my sister's hair from 1989. Like, nice. Like a spiral perm, I think. Amazing hair guy. And he gives the best haircuts. What about the like, show where I get turned into a club kid? That's what I want. I want the opposite. I feel so you, fucking boring now. You want to go back? I want to go back to when I was 16 and had huge fucking crimped pigtails. Yeah, and I can cut your bangs all fucked up. Okay, Just vinyl ask. pants, great. And then I, yeah. I would put stickers on my face too. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, was that the drugs telling you to put the stickers on or was that your... Ch- style choice the drugs were the stickers oh they're, <laughs> no, they're going through the, the skin what's that called <laughs> absorbing it through the skin yeah yeah okay what else well there's season two of dirty john has started okay i haven't done that yet it's the betty broderick story yeah which it's, you did i did it she's the woman down in san diego yes and it is it's very dirty. It's very much Dirty John season one. They have this style about it that's mm-hmm. kind of like it's um, outfits and it's it, it has almost a Ryan Shoulder Murphy pads. feel to it. <laughs> yes, because this it happened in the 80s. Right. So everyone is real 80s outfits. The problem that I have is Amanda Pete is playing Betty Broderick and Betty Broderick. One of the main issues going on in that relationship was her husband was leaving her for a younger hotter right right and uh, no one's leaving amanda p (laughs) never ever sorry like she is she's hollywood perfection yeah so i got that she is a great actress and it's she's playing the intensity and she's really good as a character but there's a whole piece of that character that i that should be there yeah and i think i wonder if it's because they didn't want to like in the you know the year 2020 put someone in like a fat suit or fat right. padding, but like that's part of the issue and part of the story yeah i wonder that if she like was a mom and you know wasn't tiny and wasn't right you know, i don't know i mean it's that's tv for you you yeah. know they tv'd up betty and then <laughs> in in doing so in my opinion she doesn't even story, resemble she doesn't even resemble her maybe not even the, a little the brown hair i guess she was a blonde. She was a blonde. Yeah. The blonde hair. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, but, yeah. But it's good. I definitely watch it. It's okay. a good story. And it's and, you know, it's Christian Slater and Amanda Pete. So it's so watchable. Oh, yeah. Guys, unless and, you hear the the um, amazing music that Stephen puts under an ad, we're not. This is not us pushing any of these we shows. are being paid zero dollars by Amanda Pete for talking. Amanda Pete has never worked for us a day in her life. Not once has she called or yes. DM. I've asked her to cat sit. <laughs> she fucking refuses. Can you imagine? Oh I'm my scared. God. <laughs> I'm scared of her. Um, um, she was so good in togetherness. Is that still on? Can you find that anywhere? Remember that show, the um, the Duplass brothers vehicle. Oh, yeah. I That's I so don't bad. know, but she was so good in that. She's yeah. so good in most all things I see her in. Yeah, bless her heart. 
Blitzer I don't know because I don't watch TV alone anymore. There's no like, like neither Vince nor I watch what we want to watch because we're always watching together. You know what I mean? Be, I'd be careful of that. Why don't you get a second TV? We have one, but then it's oh. just like, is you it weird go if I go downstairs? downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, it is weird. Yeah. It means you don't want to be around say, me. Say if you're mad. Just say it. <laughs> are you mad at me? You wanna, just tell me. It's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> Look, I'm going to follow you to the kitchen if you don't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you that I have cried more since I turned 40 than I did my entire 30s? <laughs> What what's going on? Two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. PMS, and then I also found a new psychiatrist, so my meds are getting tweaked a little. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's fun to be like that. Those two weeks of like, will they or won't they work? And like, <laughs> or what kind of insane side effect is it going to give me that I that I won't remember is it is a side effect? So I'll be like, I can't stop sweating. What's wrong with oh. me? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, then cry it out. Who cares? You're at home. It's been oh, what. I was going to say, oh, but you meant for Vince, like it's, yeah, because you're next to him watching TV on the couch. Constantly. Crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, life. Oh, and then oh. Um, the I'm so excited for the um, the Golden State Killer it, show. Oh, yeah. That one Karen Kilgariff friend, best friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod. I'm an insider. <laughs> I like awesome. to say I've been listening since episode one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh i haven't seen that trailer yet i'm too uh, yeah like uh, it uh but yes yeah i've i've heard a lot of feedback um that people are excited and excited to see it are you gonna, just, gonna can you watch yourself are you gonna do no, it no 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 okay we'll do it for you please do and then just say nice things i don't care of if course I don't care. I don't care if you don't like it <laughs> Only compliments only. I used to say that after my stand-up shows. Nice. If I was like going somewhere with people afterwards, I'd be like, compliments only. I only want to hear if you thought I was the best one on the show. Other yeah. than that, keep it to yourself. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. No Who critiques. This isn't, no. Cr this isn't fucking critique time. Unless you're funnier than me, no critiques. Right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, should we do Exactly Right Corner? Sure. So our podcast network, Exactly Right... Is a thing. Isn't that great? We like oh, it. And we're adding shows just, just by, I would say every three months, four every months? season, every, <laughs> every season, oh, the season's turn. There's a new turn, fucking turn. show. <laughs> it takes so long, guys. Oh, guys. Guys. But they're coming. They're coming. They're in the works. We're, you know, they're all great. And the uh, newest, um, the newest, uh, for example, the newest I Said No Gifts has the great Andrew Michon on it, who is from Podcast But Outside, the, right. a, a podcast I recommended on this show long ago. Um, but Andrew's a great stand-up that's friends with lots of people and knows mm -hmm. everybody. So, And my friend, my friend Mamrie Hart is on Bananas this week, and she's been friends with Scotty for decades so they yeah decades they're so young um <laughs> a decade probably sure sure <laughs> just That's one fair. just one and she's so yeah. funny so listen to bananas and they oh god um this podcast will kill you is <laughs> they're talking about what's the disease that um it's affects cows it's called Rinderpest. Rinderpest. Yeah. So that's. I haven't listened to that one and I'm really looking forward to it because that sounds like the worst uh, thing of all time. Yeah. Um, Rinderpest. You know, it's not the worst thing of all time is from our, our one of our favorite podcasts. Um, Do you need a ride? 
Chris Fairbanks <laughs> has a new stand-up special that's coming out called Rescue Cactus, and it's available for rental and digital download uh, now on... What is it on? Nice one. Thank you. Well, he has it's, a new stand-up um, special. Look yes. Up, look up Chris Fairbanks. He's so fucking it, hilarious. It, he's hilarious. It's... um He's... I'm sure it's on his Twitter or his Instagram, mm -hmm. Um, and we can... And we will... You know, we'll put it on yes. our website so yeah. that you can find it. My friend was there. He filmed it in portland and so my friend jason mm -hmm. um our stage mother jason who always the the love, day of a show love te him text notes francis <laughs> steven um he went and oh nice. and watched it and said he it was so great and that at the end he cried that's how Aww. good it was because there was like a touching wait chris too. cried or jason cried Jason. Okay, good. But there was like, you know, there was yeah. some touching. I it, watched one joke. I watched just a, you know, a quick clip of one joke and it's, it was one of the best jokes I've heard. The masturbating, yeah. the masturbating one <laughs> with the parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's really, he's really legendary. I mean, he's, you know, he's the, Chris is the real deal and yeah. he really is like one of those truly unique comedy voices. I mean, like you don't get the sense of it on our podcast because we are are constantly interrupting each other and and, <laughs> and one person's trying to tell a story and then somebody else starts start mm -hmm. talking about something else but when chris does stand up you know i've seen him in like in aside from being on the road and stuff in rooms around los angeles like him destroying a room when he's just up to do a 10 minute set it's one of the most like thrilling breathless mm. amazing things you've ever seen because it's a very hard thing to do yeah but people who are good at it make it look so easy totally and, uh, yeah and he's one of those people so it's yeah if you're looking for a good laugh i think um chris fairbanks will he'll help you out with that um also please check out uh, our merch store where we have our black and white logo pin it's a really cool enamel pin it's 10 bucks and all the, uh the proceeds are going to the black emotional and mental health collective so that's really exciting and we have some new merch in there we have a puzzle and some fun stuff to check out that's on myfavoritemurder.com in the store yeah we're very i'm very proud of that puzzle there's a puzzle for everybody that's quarant that's that still believes in the quarantine and the puzzles it's puzzle season it is puzzle truly puzzle season <laughs> there's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back i know it sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone but it also sounds like we just sold some merch that's right and if you're a shopify user like us you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye, goodbye. if you're like
like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Okay. This case I'm doing, it's less of a case and more of a, it's a disaster story. Okay. And so this is the St. Francis Dam collapse. Oh, shit. Yeah. I I feel like I've started this one many a time. Yeah. I can't believe we haven't done this at LA, a live LA show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so it's one of these stories, and I'm sure you feel the same, that I've always kind of heard about in the background. Everyone knows Chinatown is loosely based on um, the water wars that came before it. And um, it's always just been this like eerie story that I didn't know that well. But I think being from California and Southern California, you hear little things about it. Yeah. But it's been forgotten kind of in history a little bit, too, because it happened right before the stock market crash and the Great Depression. So, like, nobody cared. Um, Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say that would be an amazing book. To a book of all the stories that got buried by huger stories. Yeah. Didn't we just talk about something recently that it was like, but then 9-11 happened. And so this story got buried. Yes. Yes. It, it was a documentary I was watching or something like that. We were like, how could you not know about this? Right. Oh, it, it was I think it was McMillions. Oh, I, yeah. Wasn't it? Or yeah. It was something like that where it was like it wasn't a. Um, you know, it wasn't a horrible story or anything like that. It was more of a like, huh, how could this happen? Yeah. And then just got erased by 9-11. Right. Or like, or like the, the hearing was in late September. And so nobody gave a shit at that time. Yeah. Yeah. This is like that. So um, let me quickly read my sources. I got some info from history.com. On lithub.com, there was a section from the book, The Mirage Factory, Illusions, Imagination, and the Invention of Los Angeles. And that's by, I know, does not sound good. That's by Gary Christ. And then there's scvhistory.com, Smithsonian Mag, KCET article by Hadley Mears, waterempower.org. Some great information and photos from there. I called down to the DWP. They gave me a little information. They let me come look at their microfiche. It was great. Um, An article on a, there's a website called Failure Magazine. And I think it's just failures. Just the, yes. <laughs> um, yes. There's a web, there's a, a page about the a book called Flood Path, the deadliest man made disaster of 20th century America and the making of modern Los Angeles. They all have these fucking names. That's by John Wilkman. Um, and then did you know there's a song by Frank Black from 2001 called St. Francis Dam Disaster? 
No. And there's these like unofficial music videos, a video from the disaster and photos from the disaster. It's cool. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So St. Francis Dam disaster is the is known as the worst American civil engineering disaster of the 20th century. And it's kind of compared to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in that it kind of led to this movement of safety legislation because so many people lost their lives. So before we can get into the collapse of the actual dam, we kind of need to go over some history. Um, and that is California's water wars. And that'll give us some context. By the end of the 1800s, Los Angeles was still a relatively small settlement, and it got all its water from the LA River via a system of reservoirs and these open ditches made that were made. They're called zanjas, and um, that had been used since the Los Pobladeros built them in 1781. But by the early 1900s, there's a huge population boom in Los Angeles and over half a million residents are now living in L.A. and the city's growing. So does the need for water. But it's we're in a desert, you know, so there's a yeah. bunch of drought. Uh, city planners wanted Los Angeles to become a major American metropolis, like these people who had money in uh, and stake in the city growing. And that could but that can only be achieved if there is water, you know? Yeah. So agreed. <laughs> right. Agreed. <I> agree. <laughs> oh, I thought you said and greed. No, no. I was like, yes. <laughs> and greed. Greed is a big part of it. Yes. I need to make that point. <laughs> greed and water. What more does one want? <laughs> so this dude, Fred Eaton, he's the mayor now, and he used to be the superintendent of the Los Angeles Water Company. And so he fucking knocks on the door of the new superintendent of the water company and um, that and he's like, let's build an aqueduct like that's how we get water to the city. And that new superintendent is William uh, Mulholland. Oh, I've You're, heard of him. Yeah, you have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like Mulholland Drive, everyone knows. So let me do a quick sidebar on William Mulholland. He's got this fancy storied fucking life. So William Mulholland, is, he's born, born in Belfast. Aye. Yeah. And in 1855, he's born into a family of modest means and he leaves home at 15 with his brother and they go to America and he ends up in L.A. around 1878 at 23 years old. He's got $10 in his pocket. So he gets a job in L.A. as a Zanharo, which is digging those wells in what is now Compton. Um, and he uses his downtime while he's not working a fucking crazy job with manual labor because he's really interested in engineering. So he starts studying engineering, geology, hydrology and mathematics, you know, as you do. Just Weekend stuff. <laughs> exactly. Casual and, stuff. It was like the 1857 version of 100% hotter. <laughs> engineer. Like, what do you think of this engineer on the street with their scarves? <laughs> I'm thirsty. 7.5. There's no water. Please just give me a glass of water. <laughs> so he actually becomes a self-taught engineer, which doesn't seem like it should be a thing. It should not be a thing. Well, that's fucking <laughs> some, uh, what's it called right there? Foreshadowing. Thank you. Yeah. So for the next 20 years, uh, Mulholland rises through the ranks at the water company. He becomes a foreman and then becomes a superintendent until 1902, when the city officially forms what becomes known as the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, what you and I pay every fucking month. <laughs> um, and he's named the chief engineer, which is super impressive. However, I feel like like maybe as a surgeon or there's certain jobs you don't want self-taught you want no. you want a, a paper degree that says you learned all of it right 
Yeah, and that people who already knew everything taught it to you. Yes. Not you taught it to you. That's right. And you're like, I got everything. I got all of it. And you're like, how do you know that? Oh, it's me, Bill Mulholland. I know everything. (laughs) Oh, okay. I bet he was really tall. So everyone would just listen to everything. Yeah, yeah. It always happens with tall guys. I think even as a young man, he looked like a grisly old man and people believe him, you know? Yeah. So he earns a good reputation when his projects are built under budget and ahead of schedule, which I also think is bad. Like, take your time and use the money and build it right. Like, don't make it quick and cheap. Right. Yeah. He's he's um he's like a sellout engineer because mm-hmm. usually engineers are like, no, it has to be right. And that means if we go over budget or over schedule, right. it still has to be right. He's like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, money men. Are you happy? Then I'm happy. Exactly. Doesn't matter. And um, one of those projects that he got a good reputation for includes friend of the podcast, the Silver Lake Reservoir <laughs> in 1906. Oh, would you agree? Friend, I think it's a friend, friend of, of the pod. I, I think it is a friend of the pot. It is. Silver Lake Reservoir. Yeah. Um, they so, at our live show. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So back to the water wars. Mulholland is now tasked to transport water. They look for water where they can like divert it from a certain part of the state and bring it to L.A. And they find that in the lush Owens Valley, which is located on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada. It's about 200 miles away. It looks like it's right on the Nevada border, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's when over you- where over where no one goes ever. Exactly. Where you have to drive through to get to Vegas and it looks really hot and deserty. Yeah. So um, meanwhile, though, the United States Reclamation Service, which was responsible for settling the Owens Valley, which is this like lush place where lots of um, things grow and people are fucking thriving. They uh, they had settled the Owens Valley in the, na- in the late 19th century with farmers and ranchers. And they are like, we're going to use the Owens Lake to build irrigation systems to help these farmers in the area. Like we're going to grow this area. Yeah, we have plants. It's our yeah. it's our water and we're making plants for it. Exactly. So there's this whole water war over who's going to get that Owens Valley water. I mean, that's a whole book in itself. So I'm not going to do it justice. Read me the book. <laughs> okay, page one. <laughs> Unfortunately for the farmers and the ranchers and the people who live there, this dude Eaton has extensive political contacts, of course, including the president of the United States. And he and Mulholland aren't above using like dubious tactics like bribery and deception. So after these fucking long water wars and by the end of 1905, they're able to acquire enough land and water rights in Owens Valley to block the irrigation project. And um, they are going to build their uh, aqueduct. Wow. And when this canal uh, project goes public, people fucking lose their shit because everyone in L.A. knew that like their livelihood and them staying there and working and building families and more people coming to Los Angeles depended on this water. So finally, you know, there's a front page headline that Los Angeles finally has water. People celebrate property and real estate prices the day it's announced double within a day. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. People are just squirting hoses straight up into the air. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Use it all you want. We got more coming. <laughs> exactly. And so in 1907, with a budget of $23 million, which I looked it up, and th- you can't even go that far back. You can only go to 1913 on this calculator. I didn't look, oh. for, I didn't look for another one, which I just realized I could have. <laughs> that would have that would have been $600 million in 1913. <gasps> Jesus Christ. Yeah, but don't worry. Mulholland won't use it all. You know how he oh, is. Oh, yeah. That's right. He loves to come in under budget. <laughs> oh, that's right. So construction begins on the aqueduct in 1907. 
Around 4,000 laborers work at top speed. They use new technologies like, for example, a caterpillar tractor. Fucking oh. new thing. Wow. Um, they set records for miles tunneled and pipe cut, um, which I wrote, which is like, slow down, guys. Get this right. Yeah. <laughs> also, how hideously were they abusing those manual laborers that they oh my were breaking records? That's yeah, in the desert. Shit. So they're oh, yeah. working under the fucking blaring sun in the desert. There's no such thing as bottled water. Not no. even Dasani. Yeah. Everyone's Not least that. least favorite water. Not even Dasani. It tastes like plastic. Dasani. <laughs> and it is really, I mean, once I started looking into this and like looking at photos and, you know, reading about it, it is a really impressive feat. It's 200 miles that they were able to take from this lake in Owens Valley to the San Fernando Valley. And in 1913, construction of the 200, it's 223 mile aqueduct is finished in 1913. At the time of completion, it's the world's longest aqueduct and the largest single water project in the world. Wow. Yeah. So it's super fucking impressive. It's a self-taught kid from fucking Belfast who made it happen. He becomes this big hero. Um, and while we're and while we're talking about it, Derry is not Belfast, <laughs> although it's also in Northern Ireland. And just call it dairy. Mm. Okay. I got, I got a, I needed a, a pick me up the other night when I was watching TV alone and, uh, which I know I said I don't do. So I started watching dairy girls again. Yeah. It's just so comforting. It's so comforting. It's- the greatest um so the city of los angeles is stoked you know something like forty thousand people come to see the dam get you know turned on uh the the thing (laughs) what am i doing right now you're doing some bathtub exactly turners they turn on the oh yeah faucet the faucet oh a big faucet they open the big faucet um during the opening ceremony mohon famously says to them there it is take it about the water (laughs) <laughs> there it is. Take it. You know, which is like so he, I think he got a really big head and became really cocky about all the things he could do. And it almost is like he's godlike where he's giving them this like essential, um, you know, thing. Yeah, he made it happen. He made it happen. He and it, and it's true. Like a lot of people credit him uh, with with Los Angeles becoming what it was because it wouldn't have without the water. And he should also be credited for how bad people have allergies here because it's the water that then made the non-native plants get brought in. Mm. And there's all kinds of weird plant combinations here that don't make sense. And you could have no allergies your whole life. And you move to L.A., you're screwed. Yeah, I have them. But damn you, Mulholland! Mulholland! <laughs> the next time your hay fever hits, Stephen, that's Mulholland talking through your nose. He was a great order. He was a great nasal order. <laughs> Is that the right word? Okay. He becomes this local hero, um, and Los Angeles is able to overcome its drought issues and virtually overnight becomes a boomtown. The San Fernando Valley is transformed from a grain raising community dependent on the rainfall, essentially, for water. It becomes an empire and quickly becomes one of the richest agricultural communities in the nation. Wow. So uh, a lot of people make a fucking shit ton of money, essentially. Because they had um, this is where they had at least I I know when I lived in Burbank, like it was all citrus groves. It was like tons and tons of orange and lemon groves. Yeah, I grew up in Orange County and that's why it's called that. Yeah. But meanwhile, back in Owens Valley, 
in by 1924, so much water has been diverted from the area that the actual lake Owens Lake is drying up and the agriculture economy is fucked in the valley because they don't have access to the water anymore. Yeah. Um, and a group of pissed off farmers start to protest. And one of the things they do is that they use dynamite and blow up parts of the aqueduct, not just to sabotage it, but so they can get the water. Like they yeah. blow up certain parts to get the water to start, you know, flowing to their areas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's all these like underhanded things like they won't you know los angeles county won't give the, the uh, farmers an adequate payment for their land so they don't want to sell and they're threatened and it's just like this it's it's really shady and underhanded and so there's just all kinds of legal action going on and there's it's really that's that's what the water war is and because of the water wars and the aqueduct controversy and the fact that you know he Mulholland realizes that his aqueduct could be sabotaged really easily and they'd be screwed so he thinks you know what we need to do is make these kind of these smaller um storage systems closer to los angeles so that if something happens to owens like or the owens valley aqueduct we'll have you know these little pockets of water that can sustain us while we fix it mm. so um so in the early 1920s he starts to build major reservoirs closer to la with concrete dams the, there's the one um, w where rich people live above in Hollywood, in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I went to a rich person's party once and saw that. And it's gorgeous. It's just this like beautiful reservoir. The Hollywood Reservoir with um, you can walk around it and it's actually like being in nature. Right. In the very middle of Hollywood. It's crazy. Right. And you can see the Hollywood sign from there, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of right below there. Okay. And that's the one that when there was a drought here... What was that, like six years ago or something mm -hmm. when it was really bad? And I would go up there to take my dogs to that dog park, which is now no longer a dog park, mm. sadly. But I would come over that hill and that reservoir would be going down mm. and down. And my anxiety and <sighs> panic was constantly going up based on the water level until a man at the dog park explained to me that that is not drinking water and uh, it's actually not really used that way. Oh. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about the <laughs> reservoir. I was like, thanks. He's I'm like, so glad excuse me, me, miss. I've been seeing your face every time you come here and you look sadder and sadder. You are freaking out <laughs> and you don't need to. Take a deep breath. Here's the bottle of Dasani. Don't worry. <laughs> it's me, Dan Dasani, here to comfort you about the reservoir. It's the season of plenty. <laughs> Okay, so he built that, and then he's like, another one we need to build is in the San Francisco Canyon, which is 40, it's a canyon that's 47 miles away from LA, and he's going to name it the St. Francis Dam. So it took that long to get to our dam <laughs> and okay. the reason why it's there. Construction begins in 1924 and in his haste and with, he has this kind of, Mulholland has this confidence in his abilities so much that he is just like plows through making this dam. He breaks ground without extensive consultation with geological experts. Mm. It's just like here and, you know, points to a place and they start building a dam. That's not true, but something like that. 
And essentially Mulholland, he also keeps raising the height of the dam as they're building it. So it keeps going up by like 10 feet of what the plans were, but they don't um, they don't widen the base of the dam to match that. And so um, it, it's super dangerous and it fucks with the structural soundness of the dam. So when the dam is completed in 1926, it's able to hold 12 billion gallons of water from the aqueduct. So the water from the aqueduct goes there. There's 12 billion gallons of water and it's enough for two years worth of reservoir water in case something happens. And the main structure reached a height of 205 feet of this concrete, these concrete walls damming this lake. And it spans 700 feet. And you can look at, there's so many photos, which is fascinating, of before and after uh, the disaster. And it is, it's huge. It's like, it, I think it was like the precursor to the, the Hoover Dam. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's a big fucking giant concrete structure. And the Hoover Dam, I can assure you, was built by college-educated engineers. There's That's exactly no- right, Karen. <laughs> I mean, I'm, this is a guess for sure, but I would bet my arm on it because what in the fuck are you doing building something that big right? with, but, with no... I mean, but at the same time, like the aqueduct never fell. None of the other structures fell. It was just... Yeah, but aren't aqueducts, don't they just go flat along the ground? They're just yeah. taking the water and running it yeah. as opposed to like... Barriers. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I, I realize I'm being highly critical of Bill Mulholland. I'm not on his side. Seriously. I'm not going to argue for him. I, this is hubris. I'm seeing it. <laughs> and I know where this ends. It is hubris. So over the next two years, cracks and seepage appear in the dam. But inspections show that they're all within normal range for a dam the size of St. Francis. So they're just sealed up and patched. But on the morning of March 12th, 1928, the dam keeper named Tony Harnischfeger he discovers a new leak during his morning inspection and this leak worries him because uh the leak has um blood in it <laughs> <laughs> there's a finger sticking out of the hole uh-oh coming from the no there's because... a there's a ghost sound <laughs> there's a ghost in the fucking dam <laughs> there's a damn ghost <laughs> No, because um, the water is muddy, which means that the water is eroding the foundation of the dam and bringing up like the muddy water. And so he calls out Mulholland. Mulholland comes to the dam. He takes a look and he and his assistant are like, nope, looks good to us. All is fine. And they take off and go back to Los Angeles. Mm-mm. But Tony, uh, the dam keeper, and as well as the powerhouse workers who live in the nearby hydroelectric power plants nearby. And so there are these powerhouse workers who live there. And the farmers who live in the small towns in the valley below, they're not convinced. Like, they can just see that something ain't right. And they can also see that the mountain above is soaked in water. So workers start joking, see you later if the dam don't break. Like, it becomes a joke. And one farmer is so wary that he sleeps with his uh, in his barn with the door open. So that same what? night, th- what? why not just get out of town? You know what? That's a great point. <laughs> I really wish they had. Oh, okay, <laughs> but okay. at the same time, it's like they almost live in a rural area. You know, it's 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 so far away from anything, especially with those little little cars they had. Right. So, True. So on that same night, the night. The, of when Mulholland was like, all looks good. It's fine. I'm going back home to eat or an expensive dinner. The concrete begins to shatter. Mm. No surviving human sees the dam break at about 1158 p.m. Oh, mm-hmm. the dam keeper, Tony, uh, who lives in a small cottage right below the dam with his six year old son, Cotter, 
and mm-hmm. his girlfriend, Leona Johnson, are speculated uh, as the first victims. So Leona's body is later found fully clothed and wedged between two blocks of concrete near the base of the dam, which, which suggests that she and Tony may have been inspecting the structure right before it collapsed. Oh, my God. So seconds later, as the water rushes from the dam, um, nearby power lines are swept away, leaving the whole canyon uh, without power and in total darkness. The residents of the San Francisco Canyon are awoken to shaking and rumbling and some mistake it for an earthquake. We're in California, you know. Mm-hmm. However, within moments, the canyon is filled with 12.6 billion gallons of rushing water. Oh. And I've always pictured when I heard this story in the past, I've always pictured like shanty towns. You know, it's like the 20s and you think it's just like you know tents and stuff but no these are you could see the photos these are communities of houses of homes yeah. yeah this is not just kind of you know pup tents and shit right it's not yeah it's not like workers cabins that are just nearby exactly yeah yeah no these are real homes they're towns they're towns yeah. they're actual towns with it with a um with infrastructure and with you know livelihoods So at 12.03 a.m., a wall of water more than 10 stories high sweeps into the community of 74 people at the powerhouse number two. Um, An LADWP employee, Ray Rising, who lives in that area with his wife and three daughters, remembers being asleep in his wood framed house when he hears a roaring that he said sounds like a cyclone. The water is so high they can't get out the front door and the house just disintegrates around them. And Ray gets tangled with an oak tree. He swims to the surface and then he gets wrapped with electrical wires. He's able to grab the roof of another house that's floating by and jumps off. Uh, He gets onto the roof and he jumps off the roof when it floats by the hillside. So he lands on the hillside. Oh, by himself? Uh Uh-huh. He's standing there. He's got no clothes on. It's a freezing cold night. There's, you know, no light because all the electricity went out. Um, And the only other person on the hill with him there is his neighbor, Lillian Curtis Eiler. And she is holding her three-year-old son. (gasps) What happened with Lillian is a few minutes before midnight, Lillian had woken up in bed and noticed a strange mist. And she and her husband instantly knew it was the dam. I think it was a worry on everyone's mind. And he shoved her husband, shoved their son into her arms, pushed her through the window. um, And he's like, I'm going back in to save our daughters. But he and his daughters are swept away with the rest of powerhouse, the powerhouse number two community. And the, the concrete powerhouse itself gets swept away, which just tells you how strong, you know, this rushing water was. And so the three lone survivors on this little hillside huddle together and wait for rescue. Oh, my God. And the in, you see this 200 feet tall um, dam completely collapses. It's not a hole that's punched in it. There's one um, structure in the middle that people end up calling the tombstone. But on its right and left, these enormous concrete structures completely crumble. And those big pieces of concrete also start flowing with the rushing water as well. Oh, God. Yeah. So from there, the water continues to surge. Um, It's rushing at a rate of 18 miles an hour. And it's causing catastrophic damage to the towns of Castaic, uh, Saugus, Fillmore, Santa Paula, and Satakoy. 
Wow. So, you know, when you're driving down the five to get the fuck out of town and you drive past Magic Mountain and, yep. you know, all that shit on the all right. those towns. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it is. What's that called when you drive down the five? Uh, um, well, I call that uh, if I'm on my way up, that's the first leg of the journey. And is. if I'm on my way home, it's the last leg of the journey. So it takes 45 minutes for the reservoir to empty completely of water. God, the idea of 10 stories of water is very upsetting to me. It's it's I really don't like it. Flash floods like, are a big fear of mine. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, they're, it's horrifying. And it but that idea, because it's like they didn't even have skyscrapers that tall or buildings that right. tall. I mean, I guess they did in, in like downtown L.A. or whatever. But I mean, no, like not that, there yet. I don't think I, it's. It's just like so monumental and horrifying yeah. and, you know, beyond like it's just that idea of all of a sudden something's happening that you could never imagine. And in the middle of the night to wake up to that, you know, and to not know what it is or to wor I feel like it's worse to know what it is. Yeah. That's coming your way. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the chance of survival is tiny. Oh, also to see your neighbor naked would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just and I know it's not as a big of a deal. Yeah. But it just be like, did she just go, hey, look, we just lived. Who cares? Get over here. And I guess yeah. there wouldn't be any there wouldn't be an awkward moment if you both if you and your son and your neighbor are the only people in your town that live through something that you'd just be like deep standing shock. there. Yeah. You'd have to be in deep shock. Beyond. Beyond. It's horrifying. It 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 hurts because I think of so many people who woke up and immediately their lives are over you know their yeah. entire how the house disintegrating around you is such a crazy visual because also it's water is so powerful yeah it's scary right scary, you have to think powerful. of it like that where it's not like no you just swim to the surface no and it's no, carrying no. so much debris it's carrying all the houses and all the cars and the concrete from the dam with it and wires and it it's just it's horrifying. And yeah. it takes 45 minutes for the reservoir to empty. So this fucking flood is happening for 45 minutes. Ugh, and 12.4 billion gallons of water flood the canyon and the Santa Clara River Valley. Residents who are able to get out of their house in time grab onto whatever they can. Um, it's said that the, a woman, some people see a woman on top of a water tank dressed in evening wear. Um, I know a woman and her three children hold onto a feather mattress as it's swept away in the flood for two miles. They hold onto it. <gasps> a man named William Spring swims a mile with his infant around his neck, <gasps> holding his infant while oh. his wife had climbed up an orange tree and just stayed there till she was rescued. A man named Cliff Corwin of Fillmore, he's trying to outdrive the flood in his car when it picks him up, picks his car up. And he had a passenger with him, I guess. And the passenger was like, said, quote, I won't be caught like a rat in a trap and jumps out of the car and is killed. But oh. Cliff himself stays inside the car until it almost completely fills with water. And then he hangs under the hood and he is carried to safety. Oh, thank God. I know. Five that, sorry, that just reminds me of, remember the tsunami mm -hmm. and that oh, video yeah. of the car that did that's driving like this mm -hmm. and then has to do a three point turn really fast and it just is staying on the edge in the front of oh, the Japanese God. tsunami. God, yep. yeah. Horrifying. So five miles downstream in Kemp, a group of 150 workers for the Edison Company are asleep in their tent camp. So the night watchman, this guy named Ed Locke, he sees the flood coming 
He tries to wake up as many people as he can in their tent and 84 workers die of the 150 workers. And the people who do survive, they survive because they had zipped up their tents and they were able to float. Like, what the fuck are the chances? Oh, because also that's such a zipping up your tent is like, I just don't want this to be happening. Right. Or like maybe it works earlier in the night or whatever. Oh, oh, like you just never got out of it. Right. So I thought it was like a reaction of like Whoop. unzipping. Oh, no way. Later days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And Ed so Locke just himself dies and he's considered a hero, one of the like bigger heroes of the disaster. Yeah. God. The first official alarm is sounded at 1.20 a.m. via the Pacific Long Distance Telephone Company. So there's telephone operators, Luis Guype, in, and she's in Santa Paula, and Riesel Jones in Satakoy. I didn't even think of the fact that they were in the uh, flood zone. So they were they were like potential victims themselves, but they refused to leave their post and start calling residents in lower areas <gasps> to warn them to get the fuck out of their house and flee to higher ground. They're later be- um, nicknamed the Hello Girls for some reason. Ooh, that just gave me chills. Like they understood what was happening and tried to call everybody. Yeah. Holy shit. Wake up, get the fuck. So they probably saved Run. so many lives because they called the people that were like further down. Oh, my God. One of those operators, the woman, Louise, she calls this dude um, Thornton Edwards. He's a California highway patrol officer. And he becomes known as the Paul Revere of St. Francis of the St. Francis flood because he goes door to door. He's in his he's on his motorcycle, blaring his siren, warns residents to get the fuck out. And then also Deputy Deputy Sheriff Eddie Hearn rides his motorcycle up the Santa Clara River Valley toward the flood with his siren blaring, making people wake up and get the fuck out. Um, he makes it as far as Fillmore before he runs into the flood and gets swept away. Many residents are able to rush to safety in the hills because of these two and the women um, operators. And there's a monument to the officers in Santa Paula called the Watchers. Wow. Meanwhile, okay. Meanwhile, in the cozy, I'm sure opulent home of William, William Mulholland, the phone starts fucking ringing. Um, in the middle of the night, his daughter answers and uh, she brings her dad the phone. And when he goes to reach for it, he says, quote, please, God, don't let people be killed. Please, God, don't let people be killed. So, like, she must have been like the dam collapsed. And he's immediately like, you know, yeah, knows what's knows what's happening. The flood damages whole towns and farming communities for a 54-mile stretch before emptying into the Pacific Ocean south of Ventura. Whoa. 54 miles uh, at 5.30 a.m. with a wave still two miles wide and traveling at six miles an hour. It's carrying debris and it's also carrying bodies with it. It's thought that at least 500 people are killed. Oh. And that could be anywhere between 500 and 1,000 because there's a lot, lots of people who um, were, you know, migrant workers and undocumented. So it's it's hard to exactly say. And victims are recovered from the ocean as far south as the Mexican border. And many are never found because they just got swept to sea. It, the 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 wave itself and the like the river it turned into was two miles wide. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like I can't even. I can't wrap my head around it. Um, the B school district in the area lost 13 of its 15 pupils. 
The Ruiz family, a family of farmers in the canyon that had been there since the mid-1800s, they lose six family members, Ros uh, Rosario and Enrique Ruiz, and uh, four of their children, age 8 to 30. Ugh. And many of those who were hit the hardest were Mexican-American farm workers. And aside from the loss of life, there's also a huge devastation to the land. Um, and, you know, these are people's livelihoods. Over 1,200 homes are destroyed. Orchards are ripped from the ground. Livestock are killed in the thousands. And the Red Cross quickly sets up a headquarters near the dam site. And uh, men search the muddy debris as high as 20 feet in some places for survivors. And there's actually video that you can see that people took of this, you know, silent video of them bringing bodies out of these cars from back then. Ugh. And so they sort through the rubble. Volunteers wade through all of it to find bodies, more bodies than survivors. And makeshift morgues are set up, some in the fucking local dance halls. And crowds form at the morgue as people look for their loved ones. Oh. And, you know, uh, they want to search through the night. So actually Universal City Studios loan them giant spotlights to use. Oh. A 10-year-old girl is found under brush, still alive. She had been carried 10 miles from her home. Oh, my God. Yeah. She uh, lived. She lived. It's said that a baby thought to be dead starts crying at the morgue. She's still oh alive. <gasps> and a man, a man is found stuck in the mud up to his neck, still alive. And a 12-year-old girl is found by her neighbor in a tree. And she's naked. Oh. Yeah. So news and aerial photos of the collapsed dam spreads across the nation. People fucking lose their shit. Um, it's it, a, a relief fund is set up and telegrams and monetary donations roll in from all over the country. And then so the investigation starts. At least a dozen official inquiry panels by the federal, state, county and city government are immediately set up to investigate the collapse. And eventually ugh, there's so much, of course, uh, the collapse is attributed to four factors, unsuitability of the foundation. And so actually they later find out that um, there had been an ancient paleolithic landslide on the exact spot where the dam had been built, which oh, there was no. no way to know that actually. Um, and then uh, an uplift thing is called an, an inadequate design. So ultimately a coroner's inquest determines who's responsible for the disaster. And during the inquest, William Mulholland says, and he, okay, so he does seem genuinely devastated by. Uh, he, he must be. What he must be. It's, he, it's all his fault. He knows it and he takes responsibility. He says, quote, oh. whether it's, it is good or bad, don't blame anyone else. You just fasten it on me. If there was an error in ju human judgment, I was the human. I won't try to fasten it on anyone else. Which is like, yeah, you're to blame. But it's also like, I can't imagine someone these days taking that much responsibility for their obvious mistake. Right. You know? Yeah. It's it's very laudable for sure. Yeah. So the inquest decides that Mulholland and the governmental organizations that oversaw the dam's construction are at fault, but they clear Mulholland of any charges. Um that they do, they're basically like uh, construction and operation of a great dam should never be left to the sole judgment of one person, no matter how eminent that person is. So, like, you got to get a second opinion, essentially. William Mulholden, who's been looked upon as Los Angeles' savior for so long, is now seen as a murderer. People fucking mm -hmm. turn on him. People across the region even put up signs in their windows that read, kill Mulholland. 
Oh, my God. So he's devastated. He retires from the Bureau of Water Works and Supply in 1928. His reputation is ruined. He retreats into a life of semi-isolation. His granddaughter, Catherine, says she remembers him sitting in silence at family gatherings, just lost in his thought. He dies in 1935 of a stroke at the age of 79. Um, The victims are compensated for lost lives and land. And by 1931, the tragedy is pretty much completely swept under the rug. And in fact, there's a book about California water that doesn't even mention the disaster. Wow. Yeah. In later years, Mulholland's reputation is restored and the Mulholland Dam in the Hollywood Hills, Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Highway and the William Mulholland Memorial Fountain in Los Feliz, that pretty colorful one. Yeah. um, Are all named in his honor. There are still remains of the St. Francis Dam that are like weathered, broken chunks of gray concrete at the site where the dam was that you can see today. Wow. Isn't that creepy? Um, On a positive note. In response to the disaster, the California legislature creates a dam safety program and soon has some of the strictest oversight laws in the country. In 1929, the California legislature also passes laws to regulate civil engineering, smart, and creates the State Board of Registration for Civil Engineers. And there is no more self-taught engineers. Good. (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, the collapse of the St. Francis Dam is considered to be one of the worst American civil engineering disasters of the 20th century and remains the second greatest loss of life in California history right behind the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and fire. Wow. The exact death toll remains unknown. Recent estimates say it's around a thousand. And since original counts didn't include the number of Mexican-American migrant workers or transients, remains of victims continued to be discovered in the that whole fucking area every few years until the mid 1950s. Wow. So they continued to find bodies. The remains of one victim is found deep underground near Newhall in 1992. Oh my God. And other bodies believed to be victims of the disaster are found in the late 1970s and in 1994. And that is the story of the St. Francis dam disaster. Wow. Amazing. Sorry, yeah. that was so long. There's just so much fucking information. Well, also, yeah, you needed kind of the backstory, but wow. That's incredible. Thank it's, you. It's amazing. Yeah. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made in cookware. Made in was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Maiden. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad. So it's It's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill. If you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom, it's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code space 80 Goodbye. all right well i it had been so long since i've done a survivor story that i figure it was high time that i needed one personally and um emotionally and morally okay and uh i can't go back to my old the old ever loving well of I survived stories because now I survived has its own podcast they basically have taken all those stories and there's an I survived podcast so (laughs) and now you can just go and hear firsthand the people tell their own stories cool I was I was the band-aid in between the time where (laughs) the people from I survived understood this was a a needed thing right it's happening you're welcome America (laughs) so go listen to the real firsthand I survived stories because there's so many, there's so many good ones. Mm. So when I was looking for this, I was looking for one I'd never heard of before that, uh, and that wouldn't count as an I survived story. Cause there's, there's a couple of them that are so, um, unbelievable that they haven't only been on I survived. Mm, yeah. Right. They've, they've been on like a, you know, a couple other different kinds of shows. Yeah. This is one I had not heard of. It's the girl in the bunker. It's mm. the a survival story of Elizabeth Shelliff. Have you heard of this one? No. Okay. I'm, I'm in, I get it. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, sources for this are the state newspaper that's in Columbia, South Carolina, um, ane.com, the inside dateline blog on msnbc.com, LA Times, uh, Wikipedia, did I say that? Today.com and the Lifetime movie, The Girl in the Bunker. Mm -mm. Yes. Starring, um, Henry Thomas. 
Who's the that? great Henry Thomas Elliot from E.T. Ooh, as an adult or as a kid? Adult. He. <laughs> it's a recent movie. Oh, he play. He plays the bad guy creep, and he's really good at it. It made me really sad how good he was at it. because I love. I mean, he was one of my first great loves. Sure. Is Elliot from E.T. I was just like, why do I love oh him God. so much? He's- when he was dying, I was dying. Uh, totally. Okay, so it's September 6, 2006, and 14-year-old Elizabeth Shove has just gotten off a school bus, and she's walking up her driveway. And so her driveway um, basically runs through this wooded area. It's a very rural area where she lives. It's outside the unincorporated community of Lugoff, which is, um, the population is just over 8,300 in South Carolina. So. She's about halfway up her driveway and she hears a man call out her name and she looks over and there's a man in a sheriff's uniform standing alone in the woods. Ah, nightmare. Uh-huh. Nightmare. <laughs> Just any u- off. Any uniform and alone in the woods. No. Yeah. And he's he calls her by name, Elizabeth, and he waves her over. And so she's complies because yeah. it's it's a person in uniform and totally. she's a 14 year old girl and she asks what he wants and he explains that he's with the kershaw county sheriff's department and that she's under arrest <gasps> and she is totally confused and asks why and um is really freaked out um but he's already handcuffing her with her hands behind her back. He tells her that the um, sheriff's department has found a bunch of marijuana plants at the house and that she's in a lot of trouble. Oh, shit. So she's really freaked out, confused, scared. But she also asked to see her little brother who's already home. She, he gets home before her and they're home by themselves after school because their mom works. So the officer starts walking her through the woods and says that's where i'm 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 taking you to him right now and but they walk further and further away from the house and she starts to realize that something is really wrong oh, fuck. um at one point they are walking along a riverbank and he makes a point of keeping her off of the sand so that her footprints aren't in the sand and his aren't either and she starts to realize there's something really wrong so she oh, finally gets up the courage to ask him where they're going and he stops and tells her you know i'm not a policeman <gasps> mm-hmm. Ugh, like 14 is that that perfect age of of being naive and starting to have an understanding of the world yep and but you're still you're still so young my niece yeah. is 13 and she's so young but yeah. she's like but she's kind of you know she's definitely getting more mature by the second mm-hmm. but they're still they're babies yeah. they really are like they really are totally so at this point he puts a collar device around her neck and tells her that it's a bomb and that if she tries to run or get away at any point he'll detonate it and she'll be dead she says she won't and that she'll comply when he asks her if she's a virgin, she's so scared she can only nod. Mm. So when Madeline Shove calls from work to check on her kids like she usually does every day, Elizabeth's little brother tells her that Elizabeth hasn't come home yet. And Madeline doesn't think much of it and says she's going to call back. She'll check back in a little while. Mm-hmm. So when she calls back a couple hours later and Elizabeth still isn't home, she knows that something's really wrong. Um, so she leaves work. She tells Bobby to walk down the driveway to see if 
for some reason, Elizabeth is down there like hanging out with her friends. And because she has a friend who lives across the street when he does, he he sees Elizabeth's friend walking down her driveway, too. She's looking for Elizabeth as well, because Madeline called the friend to say, do you know where she is? Mm. And they, so basically they started looking for her. So Madeline gets home, calls the police. She waits for over an hour for someone to show up oh. at her house. And when no one shows up, she calls back and finds out only to find out that they had gotten the county wrong. Uh. And they had sent an officer to the, another county. So finally, after several hours, an officer shows up only to tell Madeline that she's overreacting. He says that most teenagers run away for a day or two. No parents ever think their kid's the type who would run away. Elizabeth's probably at a friend's house or off with her boyfriend somewhere. And Madeline's trying to convince him, no, this is not her at all. She Every day she comes home and takes care of her little brother, makes him food like this is not her at all. And the guy says, it's, you know, I see this all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, he explains he can't put out an Amber Alert for her because it's too soon. He assures her Elizabeth will come back and he leaves. Uh. So uh, we're back in the forest. Um, after walking for more than an hour, Elizabeth's kidnapper stops at the side of a hill, reaches down to the forest floor and pulls up a perfectly camouflaged door. <gasps> it's the hatch to a bunker. <gasps> mm-hmm. And there's... um. A man-made, la- like a homemade ladder made of branches that lead down eight oh. feet down into total darkness. And he makes her walk down into it. Oh, my And follows her. God. It's cold. It's, it's pitch black. As her eyes adjust, she sees it's a 15-foot long space that's dug into the forest floor. So it's the floors are dirt. The walls are dirt. Um, it has a six, you know, it's a six-foot ceiling. There's a well. Oh. There's a bed. There's a stove with a chimney what? and uh-huh, and there's a battery operated television. The walls are lined with shelves that are stocked with canned goods, guns, other weapons, porn. She said it. Uh, she would later say that it looked like something out of a nightmare. Ugh. And now this man chains Elizabeth to the wall by her neck and sits her on a man-made bed that he that he a, ba- a bed he fashioned out of branches swimming floats and comforters so it's really weird and janky and creepy Mm -hmm. elizabeth looks over and sees an inflatable doll in the corner and she starts to cry but the man tells her there's no point in crying that she needs to get used to it because this is how it's going to be for her now he says that he's not going to hurt her and very soon after that he rapes her so this man is 36-year-old Vincent Filia, and he's an unemployed construction worker whose father died when he was a year old. So his mother remarries a man with a substance abuse problem. And so Vincent begins his um, binge drinking at age 14, and he'll go on to be treated for alcohol abuse 10 different times. Oh. And this is the drinking problem that ends up getting him fired from his job as a construction worker and will eventually leave him with alcohol induced brain damage. Mm. So he's got he's got a bad drinking problem. And just a year before Elizabeth Schoff's kidnapping, he is charged with sexual assault of a 12 year old girl. But when the authorities go to arrest him, he's nowhere to be found. So the authorities assume he left the state. But it turned out he was right under their noses the entire time and their feet. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously after a couple of days, the police begin a search um, with this show family keeps going back to them and saying, you have to start looking for our daughter. So they put up, they, you know, distribute flyers with her picture on it, and then they start doing searches and they start walking the forest. Um, and there is a point where they are sitting in the bunker and they can hear the searchers walking above them. No, but, but the... um it's so perfectly camouflaged that no one sees it or notices anything ab- about the bunker at all. So after five days of captivity, Elizabeth has built a bond with her captor. So this girl, she's 14. She's really innocent. She's really sheltered. She is so fucking smart. Mm. Like it's mind blowing. I, I don't know what she, I don't know how she knew any of this stuff, but she knew to ma- that she needed to make sure that this guy knew she was a person. Yeah. So she would ask him what his interests were and she would pretend to be super into what he was into and she talked to him all the time and she basically slowly won his trust and like established this bond with him. Wow. So like when they hear the searchers, he holds a gun to her head and tells her if if she screams, he'll kill her. And when the voices fade, she tells Vincent that she likes him and that she wants to be down there with him and she never would have screamed. So she's basically like establishing this kind of like that. I like being here with you. Like you wanted me to be here with you. I want to be here with you. Getting him to trust her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She soon builds enough trust with him that he lets her leave the bunker so that she can go take a bath Mm -hmm. and like wash dishes in a nearby pond. And so, yeah. So when she's there, she pulls out, strands of her own hair and leaves it around the side of the pond so that if they ever have dogs searching in that forest Uh they'll be able to find her she also one time when she goes to the pond leaves her shoes behind just in case someone might see her or the dog again if there's tracker dogs that's so smart it's genius and then like when she's he says where did your shoes go she's like i i I I must have left them at the pond. I can't find them. Mm-hmm. Like, and he believes everything she says because she's so sweet mm-hmm. and and innocent and like and and playing it so perfectly. Yeah, the most genius thing and uh, like of all the genius things she does though in this nightmare situation is building enough trust so that when she asks him if she can play a game on his phone, he lets. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, so. She basically waits enough time um, and and, you know, basically builds the builds the trust enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and because she'd gone to the pond and not run away. Yeah. So she'd done all these things and not done anything to break the trust. She was convincing him that she liked him and that they had this kind of like a relationship. How so long? She, how long after she had been there did she asked for the phone? Day five. Wow. So, or I believe day five or day six. Mm-hmm. Um, so she starts playing games on his phone. Now he figures, yeah, she didn't run. He can trust her. And also there's, they don't have phone service in the bunker. Right. So it's not like he, she can't make a call. So it's safe. Yeah. So she'll use his phone, play a game, give it back. And that's like a thing that, that he starts getting used to her doing. Mm-hmm. So on the eighth night, when he's asleep, she climbs up the makeshift ladder and holds the phone out the bunker door and and texts her mother holy shit yep she writes it's so genius she writes hi mom i'm in a hole across from charm hill where the big trucks go in and out there's a bomb 
call police. Oh, can you imagine being a mother and getting that fucking text? Especially after that amount of time where the police haven't helped you. Yeah. They've argued you. Then it turns out your child is missing. Then everything that happens is like nothing. They're not finding anything. There's nothing coming of any of the searches. There's no results of anything. And then suddenly she was actually on her way to a vigil um, that night. They had been they'd started holding vigils for her. Oh, my God. She was headed out of the house for a vigil and she looked at her phone and that text was on her. She probably I mean, would she think it's a hoax or like someone messing with her in the beginning? Well, no, she immediately was like, this is Lizzie. Yeah. The, the, the family called her Lizzie and she knew it was her because that that's it's. Yeah. She knew she knew it was yeah. her daughter. When when she showed the police, they called the police and showed the police. The first officer that came to the house said um, she might have like gone away with her friends and now she's trying to uh, establish <sighs> a lie to come back. And at that point, she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like what? So but then the sheriff shows up and 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 also the little brother. This actually happened in the Lifetime movie. I'm not sure if this is what was happened, what happened in real life. But it was a kind of a genius moment in the Lifetime movie, because the first cop that says she might be trying to establish like an alibi is going to call back on the phone. Mm-hmm. And the little, little brother goes, yeah, isn't that a bad idea? Because what if she's what if she took the phone and that's going to get her caught? Mm. And like, and the cops like, oh, I think I'm the one that's the policeman here. And then Ugh. when the sheriff, when the sheriff shows up, he's like, we don't want to call because that could put her in danger. And the little brother just looks at the cop like, mm. <laughs> um, so they don't respond to the text. Um, instead, they run the cell phone number, and it comes up registered to a woman. And when they drive out to the address, of this woman's house, the sheriff recognizes the area. This is where they served the warrant over a year ago for the child rapist who had fled. Ah. So there's they're now starting to put it all together. Okay. So they end up searching the property while they continue to question um, the woman who lives in the house. And it turns out that it's his girlfriend slash common law wife. And that when they search the property, they find what they think is a trash, like a trash hole. And she ends up telling them this is a bunker he dug here. And then they find um, there's like an abandoned car somewhere on their property because it's all in this foresty area. Mm -hmm. And she admits that she'd been leaving food for him. She'd going been going and buying food for him and leaving in, in, in that abandoned car for him to come and pick up. So now they know he's oh, nearby. Okay. So he'd been hiding out and she'd been aiding and abetting him. In, exactly. Okay. And so now they know he's within walking distance wow. because he's hiding out somewhere else, but near enough to come and get supplies. Wow. So... So, but what they decide to do is they realize that the theory is that he's a coward. He's not, he's going to run. And this is not, he's, you know, he's a child molester, rapist, mm-hmm. and but he's not a, a serial killer or whatever. So the chances are that if they leak this to the press, that the mother has actually gotten a text and that this girl might be somewhere alive and that they're going to go on a manhunt now, mm-hmm. that he'll probably run. Okay. And so that's what happens. They leak the story to the local press. Meanwhile, down in the bunker, when the 11 o'clock news comes on, Elizabeth and Vincent are watching Ugh. on their weird little TV and he sees the entire report of Elizabeth's mother got a text now she that so, now they the cops know that she's being held nearby and now there's a huge manhunt on 
Of course, Vincent loses it. He's enraged. He's panicking. Yeah. He's freaking out. And he's screaming at Elizabeth. And she's like, I would never do that to you. She's, it's so amazing. She convinces him that she didn't do it. And she basically says, well, couldn't it be the woman that's leaving food for you? How does and she know he, about that? Oh, he told her. Because she's getting the food. Yeah. He, okay. Like, she, she knows everything. She's like right. in his life now. Whoa. And so, and basically, she convinces him it's not her that she didn't do it. And so then he's like, he basically goes, well, then what should I do? And she and she says, you should run because they're going to come and catch you and they can't catch you down here. You should definitely run. Yeah. And so he does. He listens to the 14 year old girl and he collects. Um, what a gamble. He could have just fucking killed her in anger. Right. But but she's so smart. She's able to fucking. She's so smart. And she later on on that. And it's a it's called Inside Dateline. It's this blog on MSNBC.com. Mm -hmm. And so she wrote a thing on there that was really it was so it was so young girl of her where she was like, but she basically said he was really stupid. <laughs> so she realized after a while yeah. that it wasn't like she didn't think he was going to be violent. Like she thought all the things he were was doing was kind of like out of desperation she realized she could outsmart him yeah and so she just knew basically she got him to do exactly what would get him caught so wow. he took he took all his weapons and um the pipe bombs that were down there and some night vision goggles and he told her um i really love you and uh, I really want to marry you. And she was like, yeah, I totally want to marry you, too. And he's like, OK, well, I'm going to run, but then I'm going to I'm going to find a way to come back to you. And she was like, OK, sounds great. You better go. And he's like, don't leave here until tomorrow morning. And also, while she had been staying there with him the whole time, he was telling her how the whole thing was booby trapped. The whole bunker was booby trapped. Oh, my God. And that there were bombs and different things every uh, everywhere all around. So even if the police did come, you know, it, yeah. he could make it blow up. So um, he leaves and then she waits until the next morning. And then she comes out of the bunker. Now, meanwhile, the morning of September 16th, authorities had set up a line search and they were walking the woods because they knew that she was somewhere in the vicinity mm -hmm. when they hear someone yelling help. They find Elizabeth standing alone outside the bunker and the officer got who got to her first. And she was like, be careful. There could be bombs. It could be booby trapped mm -hmm. as he was like running toward her. Um, and he later was quoted as saying, I received credit many times for saving her and I did not. That child saved herself. Mm. Vincent uh, Philia is found the same day kneeling on the side of Interstate 20 in Richland County. So he just basically went and gave himself up and got arrested. Wow. Um, Holy shit. At his trial, uh, moments before his trial happens, he pleads guilty to kidnapping 10 counts of first degree criminal sexual assault, two counts of second degree sexual assault, possession of explosives, attempted armed robbery, and impersonating a police officer. And he is sentenced to 421 years in prison. And at his sentencing, the judge told Philia, this position requires I be the conscience of the community and the community is outraged by your acts. Many people have di difficult paths and they don't commit the heinous crimes you committed. You have preyed upon helpless victims with violence and in a savage manner. Good luck to you, sir. Wow. And then 
on that MSNBC Dateline blog, the great Keith Morrison Mm. writes this about his experience interviewing both Elizabeth and Vincent for the two hour Dateline special episode. They they interviewed him. They interviewed both. They interviewed him from jail and they (sighs) interviewed her. Whoa. They did a whole thing about this whole case. And here's what Keith Morrison said. When Vincent snatched Elizabeth, just 14 years old, she had never dated a boy, never once spent even a single night away from home without a family member. She was taken by a wily wolf of a man who had just spent the better part of a year eluding the efforts of law enforcement. She endured unspeakable horrors, faced what seemed to her certain death, and she prevailed. The contrast, Vincent to Elizabeth, was quite remarkable. Where his story was self-serving, claims shifting back and forth to suit whatever version he was trying to sell, Elizabeth was open and brutally candid. Where his fearsome behavior wilted in the presence of a television crew, Elizabeth seemed to gain strength from telling the experience. Mm. And having come through it with her dignity and humanity fully intact, she smiled a smile to light up the room. Every once in a while, a dark tale turns out well, and the worst in human behavior is overcome by the best, which is why it it was quite an honor to tell the story of Elizabeth Schuf. And that is the harrowing kidnapping story of Elizabeth Schuf, the survivor. 14. Good job. 14. 14 years old. Oh. She's so smart and strong. She's unbelievable. Oh, my God. Hell yes, girl. That's, that was great. Great job. Thank you. I, that's, I needed that one. And <laughs> we all did. To find that Keith Morrison quote at the end. I love like, him. God, those guys, those Dateline guys, are the, they're legends. Do you follow Josh Mankowitz? He's so funny on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, my, he's my Twitter friend. Friend of the podcast. A friend of the pod, Josh Mankiewicz. Um, He's the greatest. Wow, great job. That was, yeah, We I think we all needed that for sure. Yeah, it's been a while. Speaking of it's been a while, should we do fucking hoorays? Oh, yeah. This is from A underscore Gilchrist. Wanted to drop my fucking hooray here for y'all. For years, my dad and I have been on separate sides of the Colin Kaepernick protest. No matter what I said, he just always felt, quote, it wasn't the right venue. I don't want to talk about it. I never gave up trying to help him to see, but I figured he was pretty set in his ways. This morning, I got a text from him that said, quote, I was wrong. I was Drew Brees. I didn't get cap. I do now. I cried and told him I was proud of him. He said, I'm proud of you. So no matter how long it takes, no matter how uphill the battle seems, we must continue to push for our black community. Pedal to the metal. Love you guys. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. I love that. Well, mine is similar. The subject line is um, Birmingham says, fuck you and your Confederate memorial. (laughs) This is from Shannon P. Hey there, murder pals. My fucking hooray is that in my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, during their protests on Saturday, local DJ Funny Mayne Johnson declared that it was the goal of himself and the crowd gathered there to finally tear down the Confederate memorial that has been an eyesore in Lynn Park for too long. This memorial has been surrounded by plywood for years because last time folks tried to pull it down, that was the state's solution for protecting it, but also hiding it. Kind of the perfect metaphor for American racism. Let's cover it up instead of dealing with it. It is needed to go for far too long. 
After a few hours of protesters pulling away plywood, the city's mayor, Randall Woodfin, entered the crowd to speak with Funny Maine. He said he didn't want anyone to get hurt, so he would like for, for them to let him tear it down and promised it would be gone by Tuesday at noon. They agreed and the crowd dispersed. True to Woodfin's word, the memorial was removed Monday night. It's been the source of contention in the state for years, and the state's attorney general, Steve Marshall, said that he would sue if Birmingham tore it down. What a dick. <laughs> Woodfin said, I don't fucking care, paraphrasing, and tore it down anyway. <laughs> what a hero. Both he and Funny Maine are. I am so proud of these hometown heroes right now. Hell yeah. That is... I love that that's happening everywhere. Yeah. People people aren't messing around anymore. It's so enough. important. It's so important for dignity's no. sake. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, yeah, that's really good. Those Guys, are two nice ones. Please send us your fucking <laughs> arrays. Um, you can just comment on our Twitter or our Instagram or send them in via the website. The Fan uh, Cult. The Fan Cult. That was good. Um, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for always being our rad friends. Yeah, I hope everybody's doing good. Stay strong. Stay, uh, make sure you log off every once in a while and just, you know, go sit by a tree if you possibly can. <laughs> please wear your masks. Um, please tell other people to wear their masks. Mm -hmm. But most of all, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis? Elvis, you want a cookie? <laughs> good boy. <laughs> that was right on the money.